Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on July the 6th, 2021. There's my dog. I'm your host, <laughs> gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, listening to me tell stories and becoming very afraid. Caffeine rage. On today's show, I'm going to give my dog a sedative. Then we're going to talk about the games that we played. Nintendo switched to... Okay, Riley, I'm going to have to redo the intro. <laughs> the whole thing. What do you need? Do you need to go outside? She's staring at me like, you know I need to go outside. Okay, let me get through this block, and then I'm going to go let the dog out. <clears throat> On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played. Nintendo Switch to OLED Edition announcement. Ubisoft pulls Might and Magic 10 Legacy from sale after DRM server shut down backlash. We will have a weekly community corner and a Steam Discovery queue. Pretty sure time will allow, unless we get way off in the weeds, which is a possibility. Or you have to walk the dog. I have to go walk the dog. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. I'm going to go put my dog outside before she keeps barking at me. <laughs> I'll be right back. Wait, you don't want your second co-host? <laughs> no, because she's just loud. She's staring at me. She's like, come on, dude. I'm about to start barking at you again. I will be right uh, back. Or just go make a mess in the corner. Yeah, or tear up something of mine. Like the shoehorn? She waited right until I started doing something to need to go. She's a dog. Of course. Kate, I... Hey, I, hey be thankful it's not a cat and they're just going to send your way the entire time. Uh, wouldn't it be as loud judge that way, you. Probably. Oh, you've never heard my cat then. I guess not. Uh, Shadow, uh, Shadow T-Cat. I'm pretty sure the uh, T stands for Time X. He'll start singing the song of his people promptly at 8 o'clock in the morning every single morning. But only when I need his home. Nice. Because yeah. he learned not to wake me up. Yeah. I checked, like, the my office, the the sliding door to our backyard and back deck and everything, uh, is, like, I don't know, 10 feet away. But I poked my head around the corner and, and Katie wasn't in the living room. So either she went to bed or she left the house to go get something. So that's why the dog is, like, in here barking at me. There's no one else there to take care of her. She's lonely. Are you lonely? No, because I have a, a quart of uh, va- vanilla ice cream base. In... I'm about to go make uh, some unicorn ice cream. Indeed. So, this is a first. 200-something episodes and get thrown off the ri- my rhythm by the dog. Uh, how are you, Rage? Uh, well, I'm doing all right. Uh, finally getting to game some more. Right. Uh, no, you got, got your, your yeah. desktop all squared away, it seems. Well, I, I'm going to crack it open one last time and, and install RAM in it. So if I disappear for a couple more months, things went south. <laughs> right? I'm going to cry. If you disappear for a couple months, I'm going to cry. I was, one, so happy that we got to play games this Sunday. And two, like, I don't know what I'm going to do for to eke out six more weeks of of content. I guess I'll just start calling on people in Discord. Like, hey. Yeah. Hey, I gotta you, admit, Corsair got RAM out to me quickly. It, yeah, they did because you sent it off. What was it last week? And you're already, yeah. you already got your new, your new RAM. Yeah, I got it uh, today. So if I didn't buy the extra set, uh, yeah, I would have maybe been able to make it today because I got it pretty early in the day as well. Right. Oh, fun times. And then you, we, we just spent, I don't know, twenty minutes. 
talking about all of the fights that I had. Well, not all of them, but a bunch of the fights that I had in like high school. Cause that I turns was, out you were a jerk. I was, <laughs> I was violent. I definitely was a jerk sometimes. Some of those times I think they were justified, but lots of times I was, uh, very angry and overreacted to stuff a lot. I thought a lot. That'll be, that'll be Franken content coming to you one day, hopefully in the not too distant future. Hopefully it's a long time before we need more Franken content, but. It's there, dear listener, and it will be in your ear holes one day. <laughs> um, but let's 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 just talk about games. Um, I didn't think to ask you beforehand. Since we have a shared game, and I've got three on my list, and you've got two, how do you want to do this? Uh, well, how long are yours going to be? I know that second one's going to be long. <laughs> no, the, so the first one that well, the, our shared game will be as long as we talk about it. The second one's going to be really short. I'm going to give like mad props to whoever makes stuff for that one and then my last one is going to be my long one yeah i figured that last one would be long so uh if you want uh we could uh yeah you could do uh your short one then we could do the shared one and i'll okay. uh, talk about mine okay my I'll solo swap around swap around in the in the show notes then so my first game is tabletop simulator um never heard of it <laughs> yeah, we used to play Tabletop Simulator all the time. And then mm-hmm. during COVID, played it a bit with some of my my family members doing like board game night. Like I would host a board, board game night for the family in Tabletop Simulator. That was hit or miss sometimes. Um, my uh, especially my in-laws are very competitive. But except for my father-in-law, who is like an IT guy, uh, they're not very tech savvy. My my in laws are not very tech savvy as a whole. Yeah, which uh, that's something that kind of gets me is I, I I don't expect people to be able to build their own computers, but yeah, at least know how to run them in this day and age. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to be so lost these days, yeah, not even be able to run a cell phone. Yep, it's kind of like the equivalent of like you know people not knowing how to take care of their own cars. Like it's one thing to not know how to tear an engine down and rebuild it. But to at least know how to, like, check things and do a little bit of troubleshooting and know, like, oh, okay, this light's on. I should take it to the mechanic. You know, like, that sort of thing. Like, knowing at least some basics about about your your stuff. I think that really has to apply to technology at this point as well. But anyways, what really has got me going hard in Tabletop Simulator right now is, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you already know the answer to this. Battletech. One of my... Uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to... I'm not going to talk about Battletech for like an hour. Just just not, 45 minutes. Yeah, just 45 minutes. So not not this time. Um, I've come full circle. My history of Battletech started with the tabletop game um, in uh, like eighth grade or my freshman year in high school. Uh, the only neighbor I live. I grew up in the middle of fucking nowhere. The only neighbor that lived close enough for me to walk to his older brother was a big tabletop person. And that's where I first played D&D and Battletech. And um, so I learned on the tabletop game and then haven't played it for 15, 18 years, something like that. Um, One of my tabletop groups, though, was like, yeah, we want to try. Like, you talk about it all the time. (laughs) Like, yes, I do. Guilty as charged. But like, you you talk about it all the time. It sounds really interesting. We want to play the actual tabletop. I was like, okay, I know there's stuff in Tabletop Simulator, so I'll relearn the rules and um, put together a little campaign for us. Actually, one I did want to play in tabletop, but I realized it would have been far too complex for our group. I, You and I could play sometime. It would be good for me to have someone to bounce some of this stuff off to make sure I'm learning the rules properly. Oh, boy. Um, 
<laughs> or did, I, did I just did I just volunteer myself for something? I'm going. You to might have just volunteered. No, you won't regret it. Um, at least I don't think you will. No promises, but I'm not going to like you know be mean to you or whatever. But we could ha- we could learn together sometime. But in, anyways, we can we can talk more about this later. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but you know, so I, I've, I've been send I, help. I've been relearning the tabletop rules and putting some stuff together. And it went on Tabletop Simulator, and sweet baby Jesus, the people who are passionate about this franchise and who are know how to do modeling work, or at least import the models from, like, the games and stuff, and have built, like, whole map sets and tons of tools for uh, GMs to put together maps and campaigns and stuff, like, mwah, chef kiss. If I ever fa- find, like, Patreons for these people, or, like, PayPal, you know support like pay me links i'm giving these folks some money because what would have taken me you know 10 years ago or on my own without tabletop simulator you know weeks at best to put together in like four hours i've got like a dozen maps ready to go and sort of like a base setup that i've got saved that has i think all of the tools and reference sheets for like dice rolls and stuff on it like those those people are amazing and tabletop simulator is wonderful if you're listening to this show and you've never played it before but you like any sort of board game and don't get to play it much because you don't have the space to have a bunch of like physical board games in your house or you don't have people who live nearby that play board games but you know you have some people in your life that you think would tabletop simulator will run on just about anything as a testament to my my in-laws who have really garbage computers being able to play it with us as long as the person who's hosting the game has got a halfway decent system um once it, the assets load in which might take admittedly might take a little while on a, a a worse system once the assets load in easy breezy you know easy squeezy lemon peasy like you're good to go so if you've never played tabletop simulator i think the sale is going to be over before this episode goes up i think um, it ends tomorrow doesn't it uh i think it ends the 8th Tomorrow's the seventh, so Thursday. It ends Thursday. Um, but Tabletop Simulator regularly is on sale for like ten bucks or something like that. Like, you know, if you don't own it, the ne- the next time it's on sale, if you do like board games or want to get people, you know, in your life playing board games that aren't next to you, buy Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, Actually, and now they have like a pack, like a multi pack. Uh, th- yeah, they do still have the four pack. Oh, sweet. You can get a four-pack right now. It's 50% off yeah, for 30 remember, bucks. Just remember, though, if you buy the four-pack, I think it just puts three gifts in your uh, account, and the fourth one is activated. So you kind of not you need to not have the game, if memory serves correctly. And also, for Tabletop Simulator, you may go to that game and see you know, $170 worth of DLC on sale. You don't need that. Yeah, you pretty don't much. Need it's that. Uh, it's the uh, t- uh, trained uh, 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 simulator model where uh, these are all licensed games, and even then, just the actual host needs to have the DLC. Yeah. So if you see something that's interesting, you, you pick it up uh, for you know four bucks on sale. Yeah. This is or also even, or even less. Yeah. It's also a great, I mean, it's a great tool for running any virtual tabletop game. Like, Roll20 does exist, but Roll20 is only good for a few specific games, even if you pay for the premium model. They don't have API support for a lot of stuff, so custom dice can get really weird. And even when it does work, it can work badly. Whereas in Tabletop Simulator, it's all just using, you know, physics-based actual dice. 
there's assets for everything and the, the base stuff is kind of fantasy so you could do D D or whatever pretty pretty easily but people have created tons of star wars rpg stuff and tons of stuff for like shadow run board games like Catan, um even like checkers and chess and like things like oh the base game has uh, that before you even start to get to the workshop that has yes absolutely. so so much yeah so tabletop simulator mwah, full-throated double-fisted recommend well let's put it this way the most uh subscribed uno <laughs> dude we've played a shit ton of uno on tabletop simulator and, and with so many different house rules yeah that actually made uno a fun game then cards against humanity the game of life settlers of Catan, uh clue fallout monopoly original monopoly and then cards against humanity again yeah so it's good times good times i do kind of miss the uh yeah tabletop simulator nights but then there were other times where you're a dick so where I was a dick? Yep. What did I do that was where I was a dick? Like, I'm not uh, disagreeing. I just don't uh, remember. Oh, uh, some of the game nights you were kind of dickish. Oh, not disagreeing. I, I, I genuinely <laughs> don't remember. That's fair. I'm sorry. I love you. Hate me. Hate me. No, I love you. Hate me. Um, It's also uh, got full VR support. If you're a VR person, that's like a big thing in one of, one of yeah, maybe multiple Yeah, and you have a, like a floating... Uh, VR visor as well if you're in game. Yeah. But yeah, tabletop uh, simulator. Two thumbs up. So, okay, so I'll go to my or we'll do our uh, uh together one then I'll do my solo. Okay. So, uh we actually got to play a game together because my computer's actually functional. Indeed. And we, and we played uh a game cheesier than the entire state of Wisconsin. E. Earth Defense Force 4.1 the Shadow of New Despair. It's Indeed. basically it's basically a sci-fi uh, Dynasty Warriors meets B-grade movie. And it's actually a lot more fun than I was expecting it to be. Because typically when it comes to gameplay, whenever it gets to jank, unless it's a very particular thing, or it's... Or, you know, the mechanics revolve around it, I have very little patience for... Uh, that type of game but this it actually works even though yeah the ui you know is definitely from like 1990 right <laughs> yeah i don't think the ui's been updated in a long time so just a, a very brief background on this the the history of the series this is the it's like a remaster of the fourth game which was earth defense force 2025 that um modernized the graphics because it went from i think a uh like a ps3 title to being released on pc and you can get earth defense force 2025 on pc or at least you could at one point i don't know if that's the case now but they remastered it and and yeah, gave it like a silly title playstation 3 uh, xbox 360 yeah I, I went to double check but um you know so this is the fourth game in a series i had played the previous one earth defense force 2017 on xbox 360 and i've played and talked about this game on the show before, way back in like 2017, I think maybe even 2016. One of when we first started recording, I got it and played it a bit, and I enjoyed it. Um, but my old laptop was garbage, and it just it, once there got to be a bajillion enemies on on the screen, uh, I couldn't handle it, and so I just or my laptop couldn't handle it. And when I got a gaming PC and stuff, I just never really installed it or played it. It kind of dropped off my radar for a long time. But yeah, I mean, you have described it perfectly. Um, the the 
a brief synopsis of the game is that aliens have invaded the earth before and uh the earth defense force had defeated them previously but dun 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 some aliens survived underground and restarted the invasion um which was also coordinated with the other aliens from space shock and horror and they're reinvading the earth and you have to stop them and you play as one of four classes with uh, various strengths and weaknesses uh, yeah. I, tend, I I gravitated towards my typical uh, archetype of big, heavy, slow uh, <laughs> uh, character with an absolute ton of firepower. Yeah. Um, the what is that class called? The fencer. The fencer. Yeah. And it's it's fencer. It's the only one that, like yeah. It's the only one that could actually use four weapons instead of the default two. Yeah. Um, all of but the other classes found... have two weapons. But then I found certain weapons have jump jets as uh, secondary fire, so I ended up suddenly becoming a lot more mobile. Yeah, but you played as the fencer, which is, I think it's funny that his name is Fencer, when it's like a big slow guy in a power armor suit. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's got like all heavy weapons. And you're the only class, as far as I know, that has melee weapons. Yeah, so... There's the uh, hammer and the pike thing, probably. Well, the the pike thing is actually like a single-shot missile. Uh, but it could also, uh, it's one of the weapons that has, uh, the really good, uh, jet blast to move you forward. Right. The, the other three classes are just like a standard soldier. It's the name of the class is Ranger and it's got two weapons and he's got, that's the class I've played the most. It's got the most versatile range of weapons, everything from short range shotguns, medium range rifles. Sniper rifles, missile launchers, grenades, a few support items. It's got like some kind of like nanoparticle gun that you know, launches nanites to heal your your allies and vehicles and stuff. Um, kind of medium all yeah, around I, maneuverability. Yeah, I just found that one kind of uh, lacking. It might just be because it's kind of bog standard. You know, that's probably the closest that you'd get to a standard third person shooter. Yeah, and in previous games, there were no classes. Like, that was it. You were just a soldier. Um, and you got a, a huge variety of weapons, um, but you were just the soldier. There were some missions where you could get in vehicles as the, sh- the soldier, but that was that was it. Um, then in this one, there there is a, a class. Um, they call him an air raider, but it's basically a support class. He's got very limited weapons on his own. He's only got like two weapons that I have unlocked so far, like this little limpet mine launcher that you can detonate the mines instead of leaving them on the ground. So you can use it actively offensively. And then he can plant claymores, which are honestly kind of useless because you are almost never going to lure enemies to you where they're going to run into the claymore. But then he can call in support stuff. So he can call in airstrikes or artillery strikes. He's got a wide variety of support equipment that I've really not used because we haven't needed it. But I'm a little bit farther in the single player than we got in the multiplayer. And there's definitely some levels coming up where I think that the shield and some of the healing stuff would be useful. Um, And I've been playing the support class when we were playing together because that's a class that really sucks when you play him to try and play solo. Mm -hmm. Because his offensive power, like his average offensive power is really low. But then he can also call in vehicles. Um, And I've got three vehicles so far, a tank, an APC, and a mech. And if yeah, the mech and is the, the best. And the Pinter also has the ability to put on a shield that's like the size of one of the soldiers. Yeah. And then the final class is called the Wing Diver. And they're like big titty anime girls in like scantily clad armor. Yeah, I remember seeing that get... anime. <laughs> right. The, the, the one that uh, they nobody ever wears pants. 
right? Yeah, and they don't wear pants, but they do wear boots, like stilettos. Very, very good for kicking alien ass. Well, I was but, talking about uh, Strike Witches. I didn't know that was actually anime. I thought you were making yeah, it was actually a, anime. a joke it, about anime. No, 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 no. There's actually anime called Strike Witches. It's about magical girls who, uh, because of course they're magical girls, uh, uh, who pilot, uh, I, can't, I, I think they were called Strikers or uh, something, but it's essentially magic boots uh, that go like all the way up to the hips. That that's their version of airplanes, and because of that, nobody <laughs> ever wears pants. You're right. I'm I'm looking at this on Google Images. They do not wear pants. There's not a single image here where they wear pants, but they do have thigh highs on. Good for them. You go, girls. But anyways, this is the Wing Diver's got a jetpack <clears throat> and laser weapons. Um, and I've played. I've been playing the Wing Diver a little bit more solo, and they've got some neat equipment. They're really uh, weak. Or they're like glass cannons. Some of their equipment is extremely powerful, but they have the l- smallest uh, starting health, and they build health slower than other characters. So the game relies heavily on drops. You kill a bajillion aliens, and they drop uh, weapon crates and uh, armor pickups. And the armor pickups don't like replenish your armor. Instead, they give you additional armor for future missions. Um, and there's some, I, I looked it up, I don't remember what the chart is, but different classes need different amounts of like armor crate pickups as they level up to get additional armor. So it's on like a progression curve and the wing divers have the slowest progression period. So you have to play them a lot if you want to catch up the amount of armor, but they're really mobile. They can easily get on top of buildings, which level design in this game is wonderful. Um, everything is destructible. Uh, so you can, if you want to level an entire city to fight aliens in, in a flat plane, you can, but also uh, every build, like the, all of the levels are designed or the, whatever procedural, the generation they use or whatever are designed so that you can't really get trapped. Um, you can go down alleys and back streets, but there's always a way out unless there are aliens or bugs in your way. But, and then if you find ladders and things, you can climb, um, climb onto the top of buildings and use them for vantage points. Or climb on top of like a highway and use that as a vantage point or a different way to um, get to somewhere else on the map that you want to go. They're, the levels are designed in a really intelligent way. And I appreciate that because <clears throat> they didn't have to do it. They could have just plonked down, you know, random destructible buildings and you could have had like overlap and weird stuff that probably people wouldn't notice. And if they did, they wouldn't care. But it feels like the devs who made this actually care. Did I lose you? No, no, I'm here. I just I wasn't sure what else to really add because, you know, I have far less uh, experience with the game. Uh, well, I, pretty much I just gravitated towards exploding things. Right. That's fair. That is very fair. Um, but, I mean, you, you enjoyed it, which I'm glad. And yeah. I enjoyed playing in multiplayer. It's got a different dynamic in multiplayer than it does in single player. And I See, appreciate that. I haven't that. played in single player yet because I've been uh, doing other projects. Speaking right. of which... Yeah, go for it. So I'm starting to catch up on some of the uh, uh, Game Pass stuff that came out in the last several months. And uh, might be paid up all the way to October. So I figured, what the hell? Uh, (laughs) Right. uh, And also, I got a couple of things on the Steam sale. So I'll be talking about those in the coming weeks as well. Most likely, most if not all of them. But the first one that I played that wasn't just more Forza uh, was a roguelite ARPG called Going Under. And this, I'm going to link to the Steam page because it's just the easiest way to do it. 
bills itself as a satirical dungeon crawler about exploring cursed ruins of failed tech startups. And if you have really any knowledge of the tech sector and how it works, this game is fucking hilarious. It's basically... Uh, it feels like Web 2.0, you know, right when that big bur- bubble uh, burst. Uh, you play as a marketing intern, uh, Jackie, who is sent to the ruins of failed startups that start- that occupied those offices before you to try to acquire their assets. And there's three, at least at, at the time, uh, as far as I've gotten, three primary uh, dungeons that uh, I've uh, encountered. There's Jorblin, which is kind of your generic, just, uh, you know, kind of fantasy, uh, 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 over, uh, fantasy um, uh, uh, dungeon, but each one of them has an overall theme as well. So I'm just going to read from the wiki to be sure to uh, uh, cover them properly. So Jorblin is inspired by gig economy, like Uber and Fiverr. So there's a lot of just instances of, you know, uh, of uh, the sense that the goblins are that are there really, you know, aren't like paid employees. They're just you know there for the pay for uh, because they're running a gig. You run into a cafe uh, uh, owner that uh, jokes with you about you know uh, uh, not wanting to uh, fight you unless he's paid for it. That sort of thing. Uh, then right. you have the Winky Dink uh, dungeon that's based on dating apps and the the generic uh, monsters fight you using body pillows so right and there's succubuses and um uh in the jorban uh, dungeon you can also encounter a an additional thing where uh you basically p- uh, post a job and you get uh bum rushed by just a horde of enemies trying to take that job and uh, depending on how quickly you complete it you get a star rating in the winky dink dungeon you take a monster out on a date, and you basically just have to survive, uh, take a minimal damage as you go throughout the room. And uh, depending on the uh, how well you do on your date, uh, is uh, uh, what, how, what type of reward you get. Then you get Sticks Coin, which is cryptocurrencies and a bunch of miners. <laughs> as in, yeah, undead necromancy, uh, necromancers dealing uh with uh bitcoin and it has a completely different mechanic from the other two where you don't get real money you get the uh, the knockoff sticks coins that you could trade uh for uh, uh real cash in the shop and it has a varying uh exchange rate because of course it does because it's making fun of bitcoin and you might go uh one room where and it's yeah you know, suddenly like three times the uh, gives you three times as much cash, and then all crash, and it's it's a kind of a hilarious take on it. And you have a bunch of uh, marketing execs in there as well, trying to exploit uh, the sticks coin and uh, as a uh, boss uh, mechanics, and it's just it, it, it's a serviceable roguelite, but it has this uh, sense of humor about it where it doesn't take itself too seriously, and it makes it far more enjoyable. So, like, um, to give you an example, uh, weapons, uh, depending on where you go, you might be fighting with body pillows, you might uh, be fighting with bouquets, uh, you might uh, be fighting with giant uh, keyboards and uh, tablet pins. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they stick to the uh, theme really well. 
and you're and as you progress because it actually has an overarching story uh it, you get the sense that this company that you're working for fizzle which uh, builds itself as a drink company that's trying to replace both uh the uh the need to, for other drinks and meals because they're a meal replacement company as well uh has some shady stuff going on and is uh, in the process of going under as well hence the name like name. uh the CEO of the company uh just shows up one day and decides to throw a party and has like two massive ice sculptures and the accountants just freaking out because they don't have the money for that they're barely barely breaking even as is uh they decide to uh the uh co-owner of the company uh, uh, is the one that runs uh, the the flavor division, and he makes uh, the various flavors. Well, he gave up uh, his p- part of the company to just be able to focus on the science side of it, and he's uh, uh, regretting it because uh, the company's slowly pivoting away from uh, what he wanted to do with it. And it it's just... It, it's just a really good commentary on just really tech in general. Like, uh, I think the last part of the story I uh, got to, and supposedly, according to the reviews, it gets bonkers towards the end. As in, Kojima levels bonkers. Alright? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they are planning to completely abandon the drinks, or uh, put the uh, put the drink uh, portion of their business onto uh, the back burner, and they're trying to develop an app to uh, get people to drink more of their drinks, <laughs> uh, and uh, throwing in all these uh, unnecessary uh, features and that nobody in their right mind would want. But the CEO thinks it sounds cool, so he's throwing it in anyway. Seems familiar, doesn't it? Indeed. Uh, this is on Game Pass, by the way, so it's well worth checking out if you have even a passing interest in it. Uh, instead of potions, uh, eventually, now I will say that the game does start very slowly. Uh, you're basically set up for failure for the first few times as you unlock uh, things. Uh, instead of potions, you're given apps, which are a single use or multi use, depending on the app, with various. Uh, abilities and you also get mentors and abilities so as you complete quests for different uh, characters uh you start leveling up their perks and they get very wildly like uh the uh the guy that runs uh the cafeteria is could be a mentor to you and if you complete his first two uh things which is light 30 items on fire and drive a car into another car and flatten it which is something that you could do. You could steal a, 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 a monster's car and just drive around in it like a, a little go-kart. Uh, he'll start showing up in the dungeon in the cafe, the uh, the item shop, and will actually just shoplift an item for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it gets even crazier. Like, uh, his next perk, uh, um, some cubes will randomly... Uh, uh, be repl- uh, as you go through the dungeon, instead of you know like crates and stuff, it's just cardboard boxes. Well, some of those will be replaced with uh, cubes that will give you uh, high rarity weapons, but with very low durability. Um, each uh, then each floor you start with some homies. Uh, every time you start a new floor, you start with one or two allies, and then you get the chill zone, which 
a special room on the second floor of every dungeon that he's uh, hanging out in and talking to him will uh, show some dialogue, kill you to full health, and give you a special skill from uh, uh, from one of three uh, uh, skills. And you're given skills pretty quickly. Uh, there's a room that you pick one of two. You can pick up a, a skill uh, and trigger a, a mini boss event. Um, you could uh, once you use a skill enough, uh, it becomes endorsed to the point where uh, it allows you to start the run with that skill. And some of the skills are actually very powerful. Uh, as in, you know, uh, well, let's uh, let's just go over some of those. Good customer. Eating brick phones uh, gains you armor. <laughs> uh, br- uh, brick phones is what if you uh, have an app drop and don't pick it up and leave the room, uh, the phone suddenly becomes bricked. Um, if you uh, another one is action oriented. If you're facing away from an explosion, it's stronger and does not hurt you. Right. Right. Um, there's buzzkill, a high chance to uh, crit uh, healthy enemies. Conflict Resolver, a shock response to taking damage. Basically, you take, uh, you shock all enemies in the room after you take damage. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just really tongue-in-cheek. I will say that it can be a little bit spiky on uh, difficulty. The difficulty spike from the first dungeon to the second dungeon, from uh, a to a Jorbin to uh, a Winky Dink, is actually pretty substantial. But it's also an a, uh, it's a roguelite, so you're kind of expected to grind out for quite a while. But the thing is that they have a, an interesting way to do the between-run progression by endorsing different skills, allowing you to pick and uh, uh, choose. Uh, you eventually unlock a shop in the in the company uh, that, uh, as you do runs, you get qubits, which is your overarching progression. Uh, currency that you could buy new skills to show up in the uh, dungeon. I'm not sure if those are in a particular order or if they're just randomized, uh, but you can pick uh, five different skills uh, from that to be added to the pool. Uh, they give you school skills pretty quickly. Uh, there's a, a vampire that uh, is obsessed with his car, <laughs> because of course, right? Mm-hmm. In the Jorbid dungeon, that he'll curse you for three to five uh, uh, rooms, or combat rooms, I guess I should say, with various things. Um, uh, might make the monsters explode, might uh, force you to be stuck in first-person mode. Um, another one was uh, uh, made it so that you could only use uh, your primary weapon. You typically could hold three weapons, but uh, that curse that removed uh, your your pockets is what they call it. <coughs> So that you only use the weapon that you actively have uh, going. But uh, doing so, uh, taking the curse, gives you one or two uh, skills. It gives you it sometimes gives you an item. It sometimes gives you a weapon. And the weapons are actually pretty powerful as well. There's like a guitar that will do an AOE blast of just uh, music. And uh, uh, split the ears of anybody nearby. There's... Uh, uh, there's uh, a giant red uh, st- uh, swing line staplers. <laughs> uh, like I said, I've spent most of the time in the first dungeon just because there is a pretty big uh, difficulty spike, and there is uh, assist modes as well where uh, you could uh, add to the amount of hearts you have. 
which I did find that the invincibility uh, frames uh, in this game are very short. And if you get knocked down, there's a high chance of uh, getting just chain hit, which was a little frustrating. I did add a couple hearts to try to compensate for that. Uh, you can make it so I think the others are reduce the amount of health enemies have. Uh, I think you could actually turn uh, invincibility frames up as well. But I just added a couple hearts to try, yeah, to try to get a feel for it. Uh, but there's quite a few different accessibility options as well to be able to tweak the difficulty a little bit more than most roguelikes ha- uh, uh, allow you to do uh, to do so. So even if you're not really a fan of the genre, but you know, want kind of just a wacky, weird uh, game to try out, this might be one to check out, especially if you have Game Pass. It sounds interesting as a concept, and that might be enough for me. I am not a uh, roguelite kind of person. Well, well, think of this as like a a roguelite, but instead of the traditional roguelite uh, being a shooter, this is more of uh, like a a third-person beat-em-up. There are weapons that are ranged, like there's crossbows that shoot pencils. Uh, The stapler, uh, until you run out of ammo, is a ranged weapon, but they're not... Uh, the ranged weapons aren't particularly strong, so typically they're used to pick off weak enemies or just stun someone to be able to dive in and start being uh, upside their head with a, you know, a giant skull, uh, 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 skull guitar, you know, like you yeah. do, as one does. Yes, and I also do have a slight appreciation. The first boss that you run into is called the Caffeinated. <laughs> uh, he, he's this goblin that has this giant French press on his back. Oh, you can actually see him in the first screenshot. First screenshot. <laughs> nice. The caffeined. Yeah, the caffeined. But yeah, it's actually really good. Uh, I would suggest at least trying it out. Like I said, especially if you have Game Pass. And you could you know, give it an hour, because that's the thing, is that the first run, they basically set you up for failure. Uh, but it kind of works in the way the story goes, because... Uh, you know, you're this intern being stuck with this, uh, you know, impossible job, right? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, my last game I'm going to talk about is Mass Effect 1, uh, specifically. Uh, strap I'm linking, in, boys. <laughs> I'm linking to the Legendary Edition on Steam, but specifically, I'm going to talk about Mass Effect 1. So I have completed so, uh, the quick trilogy. Question. Oh, sorry, this, this is Mass Effect 1. I was going to say, uh, are you going to run the mod that restores the camera angles? Or do you uh, know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I do know. That was one of the things I was going to talk about, um, <laughs> about it specifically. So I, I talked about all three games kind of generally when I talked about the Legendary Edition. At the time, I hadn't beat Mass Effect 3, um, but I talked about sort of some of the uh, performance increases or graphical upgrades and, you know, things of UI updates, things of that nature. Um, Generally speaking, I'll reiterate a couple of those things, Um, but this is going to be more just my thoughts and, and a, you know, brief little discussion of the first game. Um, So as, as part of the legendary edition remaster, Mass Effect one got a huge upgrade to its graphics and um, uh, quality, like the quality of the game, quality of life stuff. Um, the tech behind it so that it runs better. Even the mass, even mass effect one on PC, like the old, the original version 
still ran like garbage when things got a little too heated. Um, and it just suffered from a lot of limitations at the time that were sort of hard coded into the game to help deal with probable hardware issues. Like the infamous, um, you know, or the most obvious example is the infamously slow elevator rides on every floor of the Citadel and within your ship. I mean, those or are just classic. Uh, they were in the original PC game as well. Well, that's just uh, because, you know, console-itis. Yes, but, you know, that was to deal with hardware limitations at the time, the slow-loading hard drives, and um, uh, I believe it would have been uh, SATA, either SATA 1 or SATA 2 limitations, um, speed limitations, or bandwidth, rather. Bandwidth is the word I'm looking for, bandwidth limitations, causing there to be long loading times and, and low amounts of, like, RAM and stuff in the system um in in consoles and in pcs at the time because uh, this came out in 2007 so you know just technical limitations stuff that was there to to deal with that all of those things are gone i gave a couple of examples when talking about the legendary edition but for example um there are areas where you can see where that they had walls in place to hide loading screens and um they would uh you could see backgrounds switch out from something that was um static and you know high enough detail that in the distance you wouldn't notice but then when you got closer something that would hide the change to a more dynamic background maybe even one that was actually active you know a skybox so almost like turning a skybox into the you know terrain that's in front of you or walking into a matte painting from you know an, an older movie um that you know effects like that uh no longer in place everything is very smooth um a lot of those areas that were hiding stuff were gone. Some of them are left in because they're just naturally part of the level design. But a lot of those things are gone. The game runs extremely well. Easy. easy. Um, most of the game, over 100 uh, frames a second. I had the graphics maxed out. Un unfortunately, not a lot of graphical options on any of these games. There's a few, but not a lot. Um, but I had the graphics maxed out and was getting 144 frames a second during any period of calm and even in combat except for a couple of sections it never dipped below 100 so easily if you've got um even you know older hardware than i do at this point or a weaker graphics card you should still be good to easily keep 60 and above and there are certain scenes in the first game um the original release of the first game that turn into just like a hardcore like chug fest um big action set pieces combined with like multiple enemies you would drop down to like slideshow frames uh none of that exists anymore um i mean i suppose if your hardware was bad enough or if you got like some kind of weird glitch but in my playthrough i only had a couple of glitches that resulted in some weird frame rate stuff and just doing a quick save and a quick load would fix them um or you know just walking through a door and causing the game to load another area would also usually fix those problems so i only had two or three instances where that happened other changes that they made, they updated the UI, um, changed the leveling system of the first game. And it, it gives you the option, like, you can change the leveling system back to the original system, but it um, changes the leveling, the, the amount of levels and the amount of um, skill points you get to sort of get in lockstep with Mass Effect 2 and 3, so the progressions match up a little bit better. Um, but, um, you know, some of that's just cosmetic in, in the way that it, you know, looks... Um, they did punch in the camera angle um, so that you're a lot closer to the back of your character. And that's 
very noticeable and awkward at first if you're someone who's played the series before. Like, I noticed immediately. I don't know how much it would bother you if you have never played before, and sort of this is your introduction to the series. There's a mod that restores the old camera angles. Um, there's quite a few mods for for other stuff in the game. Um, the most popular one is the save, um, the save editor, so that you can try out different options when importing save games in the Mass Effect 2 and 3 or fixing. There's one bug from Mass Effect 2 that the only way to make to see like one scene is to use the save editor, but they kind of wrote it into the canon. And in Mass Effect 3, there's a scene that's like, I'm sorry if I did this thing that wasn't cool. <laughs> You know, which I thought was kind of cute. It was tongue in cheek. But anyways, um, you know, on, on the technical side, other than, you know, just the graphical improvements that I talked about, um, they oh, the the default film ship matches the default film ship from Mass Effect three. Now, um, it might be Mass Effect two as well. Like, I honestly can't remember. But the original film ship looks weird. She looks really weird. And it was very clear that male Shepard was the the sort of default you know, intended character and they didn't put as much work into the default um, female shepherd, but definitely in Mass Effect three. I remember that Mass Effect three had a reversible cover on the, uh, the disc, you know, the, the jewel case and one side was male Shep and one side was uh, female Shep and Fem Shep was the one that was facing outward by default. And, and male Shep was the one that you had to, you know, flip the cover around to if you wanted it. So that fem- default Fem Shep is, put in as the default fem shep in mass effect one and i played through the trilogy as female shepherd all of not all but most of my original playthroughs were as male shepherd and so there were some things that i remember very well from male ship's perspective and i thought okay i'll play through the trilogy as as fem shep so all three i i started the game mass effect one carried my save through all three games as fem shep specific stuff about mass effect one mass effect one is by far the best game in the trilogy hands down the combat system from the later Mass Effect games, particularly Mass Effect 3, I covered this in more detail, and I'll talk about it in Mass Effect 2 with the transition to the more action-oriented combat system. I could see someone genuinely preferring Mass Effect 3's combat to Mass Effect 1. I could. I disagree that it's better, but I could see someone preferring it. But Mass Effect 1 has got the best encapsulated story, and that's kind of common that you see in trilogies you know even if they intend something to be a trilogy they don't know until they release the first one if they're going to get greenlit for a trilogy more often than not um you know you have exceptions to that like the lord of the rings trilogy for example the trilogy of movies they always knew they were going to make a trilogy of movies and so and you've got source material to work from but in something like this that's an original story idea um you don't know so mass effect one has a fully encapsulated story with lots of stuff for sequel baiting and world building to where that there are hooks to draw from if they got the sequels greenlit. But that the fact that it's a fully encapsulated, complete story that doesn't rely on anything else to tell its story, the fact that it's got the best combat system, in my opinion, the most in-depth combat system. Well, it was the RPG at the RPGs. Yeah, and I was going to say the most in-depth actual RPG system. Um, I was very surprised at how much of an RPG Mass Effect 1 is compared to the other, every other game in the series, but, you know, in the mainline trilogy. Um, the Renegade Paragon system kind of became a joke with like, oh, you know, I'm just going to do the, the, the perfect yeah, good Renegade thing. Or the was, uh, Renegade was always being the asshole uh, towards the end. Yeah. But in the first one, like, they're still called Renegade and Paragade. 
but they are persuade and intimidate really. And you can persuade people to doing into doing bad things, or you can use persuade to do something bad and you can use intimidate to ultimately do something good. And the Paragon and Renegade points play very little into the game itself, like the morality system. And they're just kind of used to indicate, are you someone who tends to intimidate to get what they want, whether it's good or bad, or someone who tends to persuade to get what they want, whether it's good or bad. And you can easily max out both of them to open up your options for late game stuff if you focus your character leveling into that aspect of the game, um, which I do. There's a lot of conversational options that open up interesting and unique storylines, some of which are, you know, for later on in the series, some of which are fully wrapped up in the first game. But there is, um, in the main storyline, and, like, uber spoilers, like, I'm not gonna gonna censor anything that I talk about um, here. You know, Mass Effect is a very old trilogy at this point, so if you really want to uh, go into it as spoiler-free as possible, you should probably just skip to the next timestamp for our first news topic. So there, there's, a, there's the main story consists of you going to a series of planets, completing main story quests to get the resources that you need to track down the bad guy, basically. One of these planets that you go to um, is called Novaria, and you have to uh, get out of sort of the, the hub area where you land, get transport out to this base where you're tracking one of the bad guys. And there's a bunch of stuff in your way and people are, are not wanting you to go. There's like a huge storm. There's, you know, this sort of power struggle that's going on within Novaria itself. And you get embroiled in that process. And there are multiple ways you can solve the problem. Essentially, you're trying to get a garage pass so you can go take one of the vehicles and drive out to this, uh, to this research facility in, in the snow covered mountains. Um, and you can do sort of the straightforward approach and you can, you know, go find a person that gives you a quest that when you resolve the quest, you get the garage pass and you can move on. Or you can uh, side with one of the factions and um, somehow convince the other side to, to leave or give in. You can wind up having the two faction leaders kill each other and then bring another guy in who gives you the garage pass you can double cross and betray everyone. There's like, I think, 12 unique outcomes you can get that, I mean, they all do give you the garage pass that you need, but they have consequences within the game itself that are reflected in the game and carry forward into future games um, and can give you everything from like a mi minor cameo to some major resources in the final game. Um and it's great. And the use of Paragon and Renegade can be used to do either of those things. You can also solve the, the situation. Like I said, like if you don't have any pers um, any persuasion or intimidate skills, if you've ignored that section of the tree, you can just like straightforward, like I'm a specter. I need to get this. I will trade my services to get a garage pass. And they have you do a mission and then you get the garage pass and you can move forward. But I, I just like that there are choices that you can make. And that is not really reflected well in any of the other games there are certainly choices you can make most of those choices though tend to be superficial as, in, instead of impactful superficial being that they give you the exact same outcome and you just might get slightly different things along the way whereas impactful is that they are true true choices that have unique consequences and while you know the, the gaminess of it might give you the reward that you need or something to complete the task at hand they can have different and far-reaching consequences for the game itself. And Mass Effect 1 has a lot more of those impactful choices. Um, there is sort of the infamous, like, 
uh, you have to choose which one of one of your squad mates to die, and everyone always leaves Caden to die because you know fuck him not, in particular. Yeah, fuck him in particular because he's mo- most people think of him as not as interesting a character, but I think Caden suffers from um, post traumatic stress disorder. And there's there's a lot of stuff in this game I, themes of mental health issues, racism, sexism, classism that all get explored through facets of both characters that are in your squad and also the greater world around you. The alien races sort of serve as that sort of like allegorical, you know, or, um, you know, parenthetical, like, Hey, this represents whatever aspect of human culture, but it's aliens. So we can put it in our game and, you know, people won't like, we can get away with it or whatever. And Mass Effect explores a lot of very interesting concepts and asks a lot of really big questions. Right. Or the Star Trek way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, Mass Effect engages with lots of these things well before their time, you know, well before they were big things that we were talking about in our culture. Stuff about, um, you know, not just, you know, racism, sexism, etc., but mental health and um, LGBTQ people um, and how society treats them and how, you know, sort of different facets of our culture treat these different people groups. And Caden is someone who is very difficult to get to open up to you in in the early game and needs you to actually have some points into that persuade, intimidate, and he, you need to spend some time taking him on missions with you. And the combination of him being sort of a kind of all-rounder character to like help balance a squad early on if you invest you know too heavily one way or the other means that he doesn't get used a lot. And two, people don't take the time to really dig into that aspect of his character. And he's got some serious trauma stuff going on that it takes a while to get him to open up about and sort of his views on trying to forgive people. Um, in this case, the Torians, which is, uh, or not the Torians. Um, gosh, Battletech. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, it is Turians. Turians, yeah. Sorry. Some of those things are very similar. The Turians, not Torians. Turians. Um were the first alien race that humans ran into in this universe. Big first contact war. Um, lots of, you know, hate against each other. So, you know, uh, one of the racism allegories in the story. Um, but anyways, him trying to overcome his prejudices and his experiences and trauma because he winds up killing a guy. Um, he, he was trying to defend a friend, but he overreacted and he killed someone. And because this was like a, you know, a military black ops operation got covered up and he didn't suffer any consequences, but he deals with the guilt of that. And you can explore that in his story, but you know, he wasn't hot like Ashley, the other character you get to choose from. And she more readily opens up to you. Doesn't have that same sort of experience. She deals with, um, the idea of sexism in our culture. She's a woman who has been trapped at her rank in the military for forever. And no matter what she seems to do, like she can't seem to rise above her rank. And then, you know, someone comes along typically like, you know, this guy like Shepard, if you're playing, uh, I think there were some statistics from the original game that said that like 88% of players played a male Shepard. So kind of by default, like this guy comes along and sweeps her up and gets her embroiled in this thing. And suddenly she starts getting noticed and she struggles with that. Like, Hey, I've done, you know, I've done the work. Like I'm an accomplished soldier. I'm every good, every bit as good as you are, but I'm a woman. And you know, it it takes you coming along, like sweeping me up in this for me to finally get noticed and get some recognition from the military. Um, Also, she 
is one character that can help you explore religion in a universe where aliens exist. And you can approach that and, and engage with her and talk to her about religious beliefs. And, uh, you know, does does the, the existence of aliens mean that God exists in our world? And what does it mean if it, if God does exist? And what does it mean if he doesn't? Other alien races have their own religions that explore different facets of human religion. Like Ashley is very openly like Christian, but um, other uh, alien races portray religions like, you know, Buddhism or uh, Taoism or um, Islam. You know, these different things get portrayed in other alien races and uh, some of it doesn't hold up as well. I mean, this game was developed in the mid 2000s and... While I think there are still many uh, consequences that we as a society suffer from because of the way that America responded to September 11th, um, this game was much, much closer to that in time and its inception and development. And so there are some things that definitely come off as being racist in, you know, current year of our Lord 2021 or whatever year you might happen to listen to this in the future. Alien overlords or robot overlords. The current year. True. It would still be current year. But anyways, so all of these things get explored and Shepard very clearly represents, like mostly represents like this, you know, represents Jesus, probably the most obvious thing. That second uh, uh, game opening, oof, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, with with the second game, like it's the Lazarus Project, um, which in case anyone doesn't know, you know, didn't grow up in the Bible Belt or is not Christian. In the Bible, Lazarus is someone who died. Um, was buried, and then Jesus came along and resurrects him after he's been dead for, I think in the story, it's like several days, like decomposition should have set in, um, and Jesus resurrects him, and he's just like, you know, the day before he died, um, only not sick anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jesus is a necromancer. <laughs> right? And Jesus also died and then rose again um, after his death. Um, but Commander Shepard is very clearly... Jesus, this messianic figure who saves the galaxy throughout the course of all three games. Um, his name, Shepherd. Jesus is often referred to as as a shepherd of of men in the Bible and things like that. Like, but it it does explore other religions. Like I, you know, I've said this before. I wrote my master's thesis on the psychology of video games and used the Mass Effect trilogy as the basis for that. And so, comparing, I went and I went and dug it up. I I found it. I finally went and found that my my thesis. And read through it. And cringed. And, and cringed, yes. Uh, academic writing from someone who's not, well, in general, it's just really cringy. And most of my ideas still, still hold up. I mean, it wasn't like I was being racist or anything. I certainly missed the point of some things in, in my youth. But um, I, I agreed with a lot of the things that I had said in my thesis, which was, you know, a lot of things that I'm saying now. These different religious aspects are being explored. The idea of choices how that we are role playing the character of Shepard. And most people tend to put themselves in that position and be like, you know, what would I do if I was here? But I mean, Mass Effect is Shepard's story. While you can change certain aspects of the character, you will always be Shepard and people will always treat you as whatever background you pick and then whatever choices you make and then get weirded out. If you do something that's different than from what you've done before. So I played my Commander Shepard as a practical get stuff done. And sometimes that meant that I took the high road. And sometimes that meant I threatened to shoot people in the head because the point was to get the job done. So and uh, you punched the reporter how many times? 
Actually, I didn't punch the reporter. There's an achievement. I didn't know this until after the fact, actually. But there's an achievement if you don't punch the reporter in all three games. And I thought to myself, like, while it would be fun to watch the reporter, it doesn't serve a practical purpose, and it might hurt my cause to punch the reporter. So I didn't punch the reporter. And then in Mass Effect 3, if you don't punch the reporter, and you haven't punched her at all in any of the games, you can, like, become friends with her and, like, comfort her when she's hurting and then she helps you by doing like war broadcasts. And then she gives you some information. And one of the missions later on can get you some special resources. It's neat. Most people don't discover that because they punch the reporter every chance they can get because she's a dick. She, repre- mm-hmm. she represents hardcore right wing ultra conservative ideologies. She is a Fox News reporter in disguise. Oh, she's OAN. Well, yeah. OAN didn't exist at the time. Though, well, she's even think. beyond Fox News. So, but yeah, those are other things that it explores. Uh, liberal, you know, uh, progressive politics versus conservative politics and, um, you know, nationalism versus uh, globalism, or in this case, uh, galaxyism. Just these themes everywhere being explored, both in the game that you play, then when you go read the codex entries and listen, they're all narrated now. They weren't narrated, all of them, in the original game. Only some of the codex entries were narrated. But now... They've all been narrated, and I don't know if they got the same guy or if they got a guy who sounds like the original guy, but he's got a great announcer voice. I could just honestly listen to him talk about cool science shit on a YouTube video for like an hour. He's got a great voice. Um, Mass Effect also, that's something. Mass Effect always tried to be as grounded in real science as possible. Um, Certainly there are conceits made because it is a sci-fi video game, but they do talk about and um, at least, you know, seem to follow certain rules, like um, all of the ships are designed in such a way that they can function with thrust gravity. Like Mass Effect fields exist. That's the sci-fi aspect. And there's this particle that can alter the mass of objects. And so you can use that to create like artificial gravity fields and something that functions kind of like an energy shield. It's, it's not an energy shield, but it functions similarly to one. Um, but ships are designed in such a way so that if that fails, you can use like thrust gravity or, you know, thrust to create gravity on your decks and things like that. Um, they, they talk about, you know, like you accelerate halfway towards a target and then you flip your ship around and then decelerate the rest of the way and stuff like that. And also mechanics by are... Isaac Newton's bitch. <laughs> right. Um, orbital mechanics are talked about and observed. There's not a lot of like science mumbo jumbo bullshit. Um, there's the science, uh, fiction stuff. Like I said, like the mass effect fields, and they use that to make some stuff that as far as we know, isn't possible under physics work. But, you know, again, you go in the codex entries and you can listen to and hear all of that stuff, um, even more deeply referenced than what just comes up in game. Like, it's very easy to think of all of the guns as like laser guns or whatever, but they're all rail guns that just use sort of solid blocks of, you know, some type of metal. It varies by weapon. And instead of a a bolt, you know, essentially uh, a bolt cycling to cycle rounds through from a magazine or whatever to be fired, it shaves off pieces of metal. And then they're launched at, you know, ultra high speeds with a rail gun. And so, yeah, that's what really disappointed me going to Mass Effect 2 is that they made heat sink uh, clips, right? Yeah. Stupid. So fucking stupid. Completely. Uh. Uh, well, one, heat sinks don't work like that. And yeah. two, and two you know, basically broke every single uh, combat mechanic that they used in the previous game. 
Yep. Mass Effect 3, one of the DLCs, has a gun that you get in it that is like a Mass Effect 1 gun. Best gun in the game, hands down. Without, except for sniping. If you want to snipe, it's not good for that. But otherwise, it is the best gun in the game. And as soon as I unlocked it, didn't use any other weapon. It also didn't make a lot of sense. Everybody swapped to the new heatsink <laughs> guns within like a year. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if they tried to... Uh, I don't recall if they ever tried to explain why everybody uh, swapped over uh, outside of just, you know, well, we wanted to be more like a shooter. And you can't have a shooter without reloading. Yeah. There's an argument between two characters in Mass Effect 3. I think it's Mass Effect 3. Whether they have, like, the conversation about, like, exactly what you're saying. Like, you're telling me that within two years, using weapons that had unlimited ammunition, effectively, I mean, every once in a while we have to change out the, you know, the magazine container. Yeah, but with how the the Mass Effect uh, particles worked, you were taking off, you know, like, just small slivers. Yeah. They're like, you know, to using uh, some kind of heat sink or heat clips. It's like, this is stupid. And and then they're like, yeah, that doesn't even match how physics work like heat sinks don't work that way and even if they did you could just put your gun down for a minute and the heat would dissipate you wouldn't need to change the clip i mean it was basically you know clip only they didn't call it clips or magazines or whatever you know terminology you wanted yeah i think that's part of the reason why i never even wanted to try the third one was that uh playing the second one just they dumbed down all the rpg mechanics and they Felt like they were moving further away from the hard sci-fi that I enjoyed in the first one. Yeah. Mass Effect 1 is by far the best game in the series. Um, hands down. In the past, because the graphics were so bad and the technical issues were so bad, I could understand people not wanting to play it. But with the Legendary Edition and with you know the, the remaster of the game, it's no contest. Mass Effect 1 is head and shoulders above Mass Effect... Uh, Two, especially, but also it's better than three. I haven't even talked about the Mako going down and exploring planets. There's a, a progression between the three games. The, the three games serve as act one, two, and three of a larger story. And you can see elements of progression in the gameplay mechanics beyond just, you know, obviously the games uh, were, were changing. For example, exploration in Mass Effect 1, you actually, you've got a little tank called the Mako, and you drop down on a planet and you drive around on the planet and you explore and you find stuff. And there's a lot of missions are connected to this. You drive around to find the mission point, go into a building or a cave or whatever, do the mission. But you can also find neat scenery to just look at. You can find lots of lore related stuff for collecting items or just exploring. Um, you can find out a lot of stuff for the that was planned out for this trilogy from exploring these planets and digging into the uh, ancient sort of race artifacts of ancient races that pop up and recovering information and data about them. I, I don't, I don't think that they probably had all three games completely planned out. They probably had a roadmap for all three and lots of notes over like the general story ideas and stuff. Um, but it, it was enough, like definitely there was enough that they had a direction that they were going in and then could make adjustments as they needed. And you can find using the exploration system what, you know, what those things are. You can find clues to them and stuff like that. It's very cool what you can find by exploring. But the progression from Mass Effect 1, you're down on the planet exploring, do you know, doing the nitty gritty. In Mass Effect 2, you're scanning planets and launching probes to collect resources. So 
you're having to do some work to build some stuff up, but you're not concerned with that anymore. You've moved on to a higher level of, um, Damn, uh, people complained about the Mako. Oh yeah. But you know, maybe they did that purely in response to the Mako thing, but it works as a gameplay progression because by mass effect three, all you're doing is, is scanning systems and sort of in the three games instead of doing probes. Um, but in the three games, it's like, in the first one, you're a soldier on the ground doing this specific thing. And it's like you and your couple of like best teammates. Mass Effect 2, you've get you've you've been given power and authority and a much larger team and a bigger ship, but you need to gather the resources that you need to ensure that you can complete your mission. Well, unless you take around too much, then eh, well, not so much of a big one at the end. Right. But in Mass Effect 3, you are not concerned with the small stuff. You are recruiting people to do that for you. And you're going throughout the galaxy as like a big picture kind of guy. And you're not worried about the small stuff anymore because you can't get bogged down in that if you want to actually succeed. And, you know, maybe they did it purely from a gameplay perspective. Like people complained about this. So we'll pull it back. People complained about this. We'll pull it back. But it works as a ludo narrative being, you know, the story that is told to us through gameplay. Um, it works. And the, the, the trilogy is full of stuff like that, but Mass Effect One. I will. I will stop talking about it. If someone wants to to hit me up on you know on my Twitter DMs or to have a conversation with me in Discord, um, you know, private messages, or if you want to plan a time to sit down and talk to me about some of this stuff, please do. I'm very passionate about this. I'm very passionate about games telling stories well in a way that only video games can. And Mass Effect. The Mass Effect trilogy, for all of its faults, especially in the later games with their gameplay mechanics, still tells a compelling story in a way that only video games can. And Mass Effect 1 is by far the best in the series. And if you want to come talk to me about it, I would love to talk to you about it. But I'm going to stop you know, talking about it on the recording because uh, it's 1130 and you've probably all gotten tired of listening to me go on about Mass Effect 1. Mass Effect 2 will probably be next week, and then Mass Effect 3 the week after that. I've got notes. Well, I've got, like, uh, well if we see a sudden drip, uh, drop in uh, listeners, we know why. Yep, that's fine. But yeah, I've got multiple pages of notes. See so. you in three weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, Rage, are you ready to do the news? Uh, I think I was about an hour ago, so let's go for it. All right. Oh, so uh, a new Nintendo Switch announced the OLED edition. Yep. Oh, so in case anyone doesn't know, OLED stands for organic light emitting diode. It's a okay, type of well, screen illumination well, technology. Well, before we dive into this, do you think Nintendo and uh, Microsoft has a competition on who could come up with the worst name? Because this versus Series S versus Series X, it's just what the hell, right? Yeah. So, this is not the pro everybody was talking about, and honestly, I think a lot of it might just be people seeing upgrades and thinking, oh, well, we're going to get that uh, yeah, Switch Pro we've been wanting. Nope, no pro for you. So, the, OL, uh, the OLED edition is a minor upgrade across most of the specs, uh, or most of the non-performance specs, I should say. And... Honestly, pretty much if you have a Switch, you don't need this uh, version. I think that's a fair thing to say, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, there aren't 
Were I, I don't think they were. I skimmed the articles. Were there any actual upgrades other than the screen? Okay, the screen is slightly larger, six point by uh, two uh, inch LCD versus the seven inch OLED. They're enhancing the audio with improved speakers. Uh, the stand it, on the switch itself, when it's in portable mode, uh, is more adjustable and can be used in the both the landscape and the portrait mode, since some games use that, especially like pinball games and that sort of thing. But also, um, uh, the that big game pack, uh, 51 uh, Worldwide Games or whatever it was, some of them uh, use that mode as well. Uh, the dock has an Ethernet port in it now, so right? Uh, and honestly, I would say the biggest upgrade and biggest reason why you'd want to upgrade, even though even then it's eh, is that they're doubling the internal storage to a whole 64 <laughs> gigs. Wow. It's much huge. Right? Yeah. I mean, the OLED screen, as long as it's a good quality screen, will be a nice touch. I'll give them that. For anyone who doesn't know, the difference between an, an OLED and either an LCD screen or even an LED screen is uh, the easiest way to explain it is, right. is the way that, well, it's the way that they're lit. LED screens, um, de- well, definitely LCDs, um, you have light uh, regions on a screen. For simplicity's sake, it's like there are you know, a series of bulbs behind the screen that illuminate a region. And you know, it, it's good enough to get you know, color differentiation and light differentiation, but you get a lot of color bleed, especially if there's supposed to be a mix of light and dark colors in the same region. The light obviously overpowers the dark, so you get lots of washed-out dark colors. If and also, uh, black is not truly black because of that. Right. Whereas in, in an OLED display, um, and I, I believe LEDs also use, you know, essentially bulbs, you know, light, re- you know, lit regions, but there are more of them. LEDs let you have more of them as, compo- yeah, as compa- compared to LCDs. But OLEDs do not have that. The The pixels themselves are individually lit. And so you can get deeper blacks, you know, darker darks and brighter light colors because you can individually control the light of every pixel. And there will, of course, be a small amount of bleed. You can't stick a light in a dark area without, without there being any type of bleed, but it allows you to individually control each pixel. And so you can get much truer to life colors. Yeah, but the thing is that uh, it's still not going to increase the resolution, and that's the thing. No. Is that uh, this is still having the 720 uh, resolution in portable mode and maxes out at 1080p in docked mode. So, yeah, that's kind of a kick in the teeth if you're uh, wanting this really sharp screen, but you know, a, a bigger screen with kind of low resolution for how big that is. Yeah, the the OLED the OLED display could actually make it look worse instead of better because you're able to produce a much sharper image. But when things are a little bit washed out, you can hide a lot of stuff that comes from having a low resolution image being blown up. So I mean, we'll we'll see if they've got a good quality screen and some type of um, whatever you know software that they use to interpolate um, pixels and and frames and and whatnot. Um, if they've got good interpolation software built into it, it could probably hide it. But if they don't, 
an OLED could make it look worse instead of better. Yeah, and this is $50 more than the standard edition. I'm not... I couldn't find any info if this is completely replacing it or if this is a supplemental edition. It seems like there's conflict on that one. Ah, so it's the Wii versus Wii U problem all over again. Oh, Nintendo, you never learn. Yeah, I'm just reading this article real quick to see because that's the thing is that, okay, it's not even an inch bigger. Uh, The battery life is the same, which it probably balances out because this switch is slightly larger, uh, but OLEDs, I think they require more power or, or they're less power, but uh, it's a bigger screen. And just because the yeah the way the uh, area works, you know, even though it's you know an eighth of an inch larger, that's still a decent percentage. Yeah. Uh, and if they're improving the speakers, likely the speakers require more voltage as well. And you know, it's just it's kind of a net neutral on that one, supposedly. And also, it's this uh, really weird white, which just doesn't fit with a Nintendo console, at least in my opinion. Or the base version. There's also supposed to be one that's black, which is more what the Switch is right now. And it just it feels like an off-branded uh, Switch with it white like that, because white tends to be a Sony color. Or I should say, in the modern consoles. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and the Xbox 360, I think, was originally white, but Xbox migrated to black over the, over the years. Yeah, yeah, they've swapped. Sony and uh, Microsoft have swapped black and forth. Who uh, who owns white and who doesn't? Right. Uh, so yeah, Nintendo kind of getting into the fray as well. I kind of uh, like the white. I totally understand like it feeling weird, but I I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the juxtaposition of the white with the black. Well, the other version, it's more black than white, but it has white accents. Yeah, I think I prefer the white with black accents, but, you know, that's whatever. That's just uh, personal preference. Yeah, true. Wouldn't make me not buy one if, it, you know, it was black with white accents or whatever, you know. Yeah, it does I mean, feel I'm probably weird not going to buy did. one. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially with it being $50 more. Yeah, and let's be honest, it's not going to be $50 more. It's going to be like $150 more because scalpers. Scalpers. Because this is, because this is Nintendo, they're not going to launch with a, a substantial uh, amount of them. Uh, it launches in October, by the way. Uh, actually, let's go to the FAQ, see if they say it's replacing uh, the... Yeah, they're not saying it's replacing it, so they'll have two versions. Yeah. And it's pretty much <clears throat> the same battery life uh, as the base model. So, yeah. I mean, if you can, if you don't have... A, you, if you, dear listener, don't have a Switch and you want one and you haven't been able to get one... And you are able to get one of these at MSRP. I don't know. I guess um, I would say it, it would probably be worth the fifty dollars for that memory because the memory on the base switch is abysmal. Yep. I mean, you might be yeah. able to squeak past with sixty-four gigs if you if you only if you don't really uh, get very many digital games. Well, well, that's the thing is that switch games outside of the main uh, first party are smaller. But those first-party games are fucking massive. Um, I, I think I have two games installed in the internal memory of my, of my Switch, and that's it. But this does kind of prove... Uh, I remember when the, when the Switch originally launched. Um, uh, I think it was Ben Heck that did the, the teardown that I watched. Uh, he did the teardown on all the uh, consoles and the controllers. 
Uh, and he pointed out that the memory module on the Switch was on its own little daughter board that could easily be swapped out if you had the proper uh, yeah, well, software and everything for it. And he uh, predicted that you know, they would just swap out the memory module at some point. And hey, they did. I mean, they swapped out the screen as well. But you know, it's not that big a you know, thing to change on the actual architecture of the uh, Switch itself. Assuming that the OLED doesn't change a lot of internals as well, because that's kind of, I mean, that's really, yeah. I mean, we're looking at better or improved speakers, um, the OLED screen and a bigger uh, memory chip in the switch itself. Then you have the ethernet port on the dock, which the fact that it didn't have one at, uh, at the launch is kind of crazy, huh? I never really thought about it. I don't know. Well, well I feel considering, like... it, considering it was a dock, uh, for uh, something, I guess. I mean, I guess there was enough of a demand that they put one on. But I well, never I know there's a lot. Of th- I know up, there's though. a lot of third party docks that uh, have an Ethernet port on them. And another big one for uh, uh, third party docks is uh, the ability to have you know, multiple USB ports on them. Because that's kind of a, a problem with the Switch is that you're very limited on what you could use. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I, I just never thought about plugging it in. All of the consoles in the house, so the Wii U, the Switch, and the Xbox One, just use Wi-Fi. It's just easier. Yeah, I will say that it is easier, and because of Ethernet, if you undock it while you're in the middle of something, it will probably uh, have a handover, uh, Tom. Yeah, but you know, if uh, you're if you're uh, the type of person that uh, just has the Switch docked all the time. You know, it being Wi-Fi only uh, is kind of a waste. And there are people out there that have uh, the Switch uh, as just a dedicated console. Maybe they'll grab it to uh, uh, to go out uh, somewhere. But even then, that's a rarity. Yeah. It just felt like it should have been an option. That's the thing. And that kind of comes back around to Nintendo always feeling like they're, you know, five years behind the curve with uh, with uh, standard uh, yeah, things that sh- that are standard elsewhere, and they'll uh, do something really wacky to make up for it. You know, like the Joy Cons being you know, uh, you know, basically the Wii modes on steroids. Right. But I'll be damned if I, uh, only time I really do motion controls with the Switch is like Breath of the Wild, uh, Mario Odyssey. I didn't do a lot of the uh, advanced stuff in that because they try to force you to essentially play it in a docked mode and i was playing you know in handheld i couldn't do all the stuff that they were trying to do and uh you know it's hard to you know do those uh you know, moves whenever you're you know trying to hold on to the controller uh the controller with the screen so yeah i mean that the, the switch is just a kind of a weird thing when you really think about it huh it is but it's a very neat weird thing yeah, and PC Game N is trying to compare it with the the rise in handheld gaming PCs, uh, which feels like yo know, apples to oranges. To be perfectly honest, uh, there's been quite the rise in the last like two years of Switch like uh, PCs that uh, basically cram a gaming laptop into a Switch uh, style uh, contr- uh, platform. I don't think anybody has done it completely successfully yet. There's a few that. Uh, come close, but battery life is always the the buzzkill on all of them, including the Switch, I might add. Uh, and it's just, I don't think any of them has uh, been a, a, a complete success yet. 
and it might just be the case of you know people trying to chase after something that's a very niche market. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that is a super niche market. I mean, definitely there's people out there who want a uh, handheld gaming PC mm-hmm. or gaming PC like experience. There's definitely some people out there who want that. And honestly, like if someone gave me one, I'd use it, but I would never in a million years buy one. Like the Switch feels that fills that niche perfectly for me. And then yeah, like, I have my well, gaming laptop for any like ninety nine percent of well not ninety nine ninety percent of situations where I would be traveling gaming laptop. I mean, uh, another issue with uh, trying to compare you know apples to oranges here is price. It uh, the Switch because yeah, it's paid for through the licensing. Now is sold probably at cost or as a loss leader because you know Nintendo makes all their money through licensing games and that sort of thing. While uh, the hardware manufacturers have to turn a profit and the one that they uh, say is the one of the better ones is still you know an eight or nine hundred dollar computer that's severely gimped because it's a in a handheld format. I mean at that point just get, you know get a tablet and do remote play, right? Or Steam Link. Yeah, but you know you're kind of defeating the purpose because the entire idea is gaming on the go, and you know you're still limited to actually having a gaming level PC. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what Nintendo does for their next console, though. If they're going to continue down the line of the Switch, or are they going to do something completely different? Yeah, I suppose we'll see. I mean, I hope they uh, continue down the line of the Switch, honestly. But I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll come up with something even better and wackier. Especially with foldable screens becoming more available. I, yeah. I really expect that like in a couple iterations we'll see a Nintendo console with a completely foldable screen. Probably. Foldable screens have still got a ways to go though. Like they're getting well, closer. That's but they're why still I was saying, too that's fragile. That's why I was saying a couple iterations because you know, we're you know, Nintendo has a four to six year uh, life cycle on a console and the yeah. switches at Four years, I think. Four or five years. So we're probably going to see them talking about their next console. Um, I would say, if not next year, then uh, 2023. So by the end of that console cycle, who knows, maybe we'll see uh, an improvement where there'll be some sort of Gorilla Glass-like substance that somebody developed that would make foldable uh, displays as durable as modern smartphones or just an improvement on plastics to where, you know, it actually makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that's pure speculation right now. And we're way off base. So indeed. Uh, so I don't think either of us are really looking at getting uh, this uh, version of the switch. Probably not. I mean, if mine got broken or lost or something, maybe. Yeah. yeah but... I just don't think it's worth the upgrade, honestly, unless there's something hidden in this that, uh, they're not talking about yet, which if there is, I don't know why they're not trying to market it with that. Yeah. Because Nintendo has had a severe yep, supply problem. And this might be part of the reason is that they're gearing up to do this new edition. Supplies, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, not even yeah. once, it says Nintendo. Not even <laughs> once. Not even once. All right. Our other news topic for the week. Ubisoft pulls Might and Magic 10 Legacy from sale after DRM server shutdown backlash. So, um, remember that game we talked about a couple weeks ago? You can no longer buy it. Uh, and it, from the sounds of everything, 
they were just happy to keep selling it until you know people got pissed about it. I mean, it's just I mean, yeah, I know Ubisoft is a terrible company, but this is you know terrible even by Ubisoft standards. And this doesn't even fix the issue that uh, that people have that bought the game in the first place. Because hey, um, this still doesn't resolve the DRM breaking the game that people lawfully bought. It's just eh, band-aid patch so we don't get more people complaining. Yeah. Let's just put it this way. Reviews have dipped so that all reviews are now down to mixed with recent reviews very negative. And people are furious in the reviews. Rightfully so, I might add. I have no idea how good this game was before, but, right? Yeah, I I mean, I I had never played it. I probably was never going to play it, so I have Mm -hmm. no way to know, you know, how good it was or wasn't. But um, but this is uh, this should be uh, held up as a lesson for people that just say, well, uh, you know, you shouldn't worry about online uh, or forced online uh, DRM. It won't affect you as long as your uh, Internet's good. Well, here's a good example of, you know, uh, they pulled the servers and we're now over a month afterwards. No uh, indication that they're going to issue a patch to remove this DRM. So, yeah. Yeah, they expect you to be always online, but they don't have to be always online, both from a service perspective and, you know, in perpetuity. Whenever they decide to turn the lights off, then that's it. You're done unless yeah, you're I mean, fortunate they, enough to have the source yeah, code released or somebody re- hardcore really reverse engineers it. Well, pretty much you're forced to pirate it at this point and just use the pirate cracks. Yeah. And, th- and that's the thing is this is a single player game. So there's, you know, it's not locking you out of multiplayer like most cracks would. It's yeah. just, eh. I'm, I mean, I am not giving Ubisoft credit for this. They did the bare minimum after people you know had an outcry about it but at least it's not on sale anymore you know someone who doesn't know or who doesn't read and is like oh my magic x that's on sale for whatever i'm gonna buy that and you know get kind of trapped in this position like at least that's not gonna happen anymore but ubisoft doesn't get any credit because they didn't just do this right from the start like that's the bare minimum yeah this was a month after the fact yeah because if I recall correctly, uh, the serv- they did a server prune in early June, uh, and uh, the DRM server for this was one of them. Oh, it was that in the leaderboards or some or some sort of online functionality. But the primary game was single player only, and there's really no incentive for them to put in, put out a patch for this because you know it, there's a cost benefit analysis, and eh, we'll lose fewer customers. Uh, if we just don't do anything, then we would spend uh, money to fix it. Maybe at some point, the uh, you know, intern that really liked the Might of Magic series might uh, do something. But right, yeah, an intern might leak the source code. I feel <laughs> like them having a cost benefit analysis gives them too much credit, even for that. I just feel like they were like, nah, who cares? Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. But I mean, you're right. They probably did at least a basic cost benefit analysis, and you know, some guy was like, yeah, no, just yeah. It doesn't matter if we don't do this. Not enough people will care for it to really affect us in any way. Yeah, this is why you shouldn't trust companies with online uh, DRM. I mean, just in general, don't don't trust companies. But yeah. then, especially don't trust video game companies with online DRM. I mean, and... I have some trust for some game developers, but they typically are either the very small teams or the single developer. But that's yeah. me getting my indie uh, yeah, turtleneck uh, on, right? Yeah, I'm more willing to give 
indie devs the benefit of the doubt than I am larger publishers, be they AAA or even AA. Like, you know, individual or very tiny team indie devs, I'm very willing to give them at least benefit of the doubt. Not trust, but a chance, you know. And then if they prove themselves, then I can I can grow to trust them a bit. They have to prove themselves first. Yeah, that's until they uh, cash it in. C- uh, <clears throat> CD Projekt Red, right? Very true. Very true. I remember you don't own your games. That's the other thing that you really need to remember on this. You license them, which kind of uh, yeah makes you kind of hesitant on the whole you know, uh, digital-only gaming, huh? Yeah, although I sort of accepted that a long time ago as like the risk. Yeah involved because the convenience of digital only gaming is outweighs that risk for the most part for no, me. I mean I don't physically have a big enough house uh to store my library in you know to the traditional uh you know jewel cases. Yeah. My Especially the entire with, um, walls of my office would be nothing but bookshelves and I still wouldn't have enough room for all of the games that I own if they were physical. Uh, especially with some with how massive some of these games are. And that's even before you get into patching them, which you know back in the Dark Ages when you had to, you know, find a patch, right? Yeah. I wonder what the largest game in my library would be uh, if it was on CDs or, well, now Blu-rays because I have a Blu-ray drive. That's a good question, huh? And I have no idea how I'd figure out the answer. Probably uh, some AAA game, right? Because AAA yeah. seems to uh, be uh, uh, just not caring about, you know, really in-consumer uh, usability. They'll just throw un- uh, uncompressed files out and just, eh. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I wonder, now I'm thinking about which one of my games would be uh, the biggest. Okay, so. I've got a few that are pretty big in like the 100 gig-ish range. Well, well I just did a quick search. Um, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare is over 100 gigs. So, on uh, on DVDs, I mean, damn right. That was on DVDs, if it was, you know, 100 gigs, that would be Call of Duty Modern Warfare is over 200 gigs. Oh, damn. 200. DVDs were, what, 5 gigs? 7 gigs? I don't remember. It's been so long. How much space? Uh, 4.7 gigs. Okay. Uh, for, uh, there is an 8.5 gig uh, double layer of one, but typically you'll see, probably see the 4.7 because they're a lot easier to manufacture. Yeah. So 200 divided by 4.7. That's 42 and a half DVDs. So let's just call it like 45 because, <laughs> you know, well, no, with the way the files would uh, be broken up, right? Yeah. Um, also up there is Quantum Break at 175 uh, gigs. But I believe that one has a lot of uh, full motion video in it as well. <laughs> that would be 286 DDs. Uh, Destiny 2, which is a, probably a bad example. But Destiny 2's Shadowkeep is 165 gigs. Dang. Uh, Microsoft Flight Sim 2020 is 150 gigs. Assuming that you could get the fucking thing to patch. Yeah. Actually, I should try that again sometime. Final Fantasy 15, uh, 155 gigs of boy band goodness, right? Yeah. And just remember, whenever you consider these uh, uh, disc numbers, you have to round up and then add a couple just because, you know, it's not going to be perfectly uh, lined up where you know, files would fill up the complete uh, thing as well. I mean, Final Fantasy 15 would be probably about 35 DVDs. I mean, hell, Blu-rays, it's... Uh, the biggest Blu-ray, I think, is 50 gig. 
So, you know, you're still looking at, you know, uh, three, well, actually four Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Uh, if you go, I say, so Blu-ray, single layer 25, uh, dual layer 50. And then if you get into some of the more advanced ones, you can get up to 128 gigs. But that's, yeah, I've started to get a, uh, into some very expensive discs. Or I should say uh, expensive discs per, and yeah, you know, right? Right. Secures of War 4, Call of Duty again. <laughs> Hitman 2, 111 gigs. Oh, hey, here's your favorite game, Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We have gotten so far away from the original topics, I think we are yeah, good well, to move on. Well, it's more fuck Ubisoft, right? Indeed. Fuck Ubisoft. All right. Uh, community Corner for the week. Um, uh, well, there we... wasn't any emails or tweets. Uh, was there anything on the Discord that you wanted to cover? Yes. Just very briefly, we had, um, on a, a little bit of a follow-up to our MMO discussion from the last episode, Cube posted in the Game Club slash discussion channel um, with a, a few MMOs to follow up on our, you know, on our discussion. Um, he had four that he talked about, um, or, or four things that he talked about. The first point, Final Fantasy is doing well. That's Final Fantasy 14, the MMO. It had a big update recently and brought the a whole bunch of new people into the community and refreshed the old community. <clears throat> Observing, sort of agreeing with our observance that WoW is, is stale at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, something called Pantheon that he said like 90% chance that this is vaporware and then a 5% chance that it releases, but it's terrible. And then 5% chance that it's good. Um, I haven't like, I'd looked into this and it looks very neat as like, um, you know, a fantasy MMO. I don't see anything about a release date on this. I don't either. And and that's a, that's a bad so that's, sign. That's why he's saying like 90% chance it's vaporware. Um, then another one, uh, monsters and memories. Um, it's a proof of concept, like indie game at this point. Um, hoping that it will develop into something more, you know, in the future. And then, um, Project Classic EverQuest. Yeah, Project 1999, Classic EverQuest. Just bringing that yeah, up. Which, and he said what server he was on. Yeah, which I played this a little bit back in the day. Uh, I think it was bef- either I played this or I played a different Classic uh, EverQuest uh, for a while, uh, but it wasn't. The servers weren't named after callers, so it looks like most people are on his server, though. So there is that. Uh, he's on the green server, by the way. If you wish to go harass Cube, uh, Cube's <laughs> kind of reinforcing uh, what we said that yeah, you know, there's nothing really major coming up because the one thing that he said that isn't released, uh, he's given ninety percent chance it's vaporware and only five percent that's actually worth something. Yeah. That doesn't bode well for the MMO market. It just seems very stale. I mean, hell, even uh, Guild Wars. Is there anything going on with that these days? That was kind of the one that kind of shook things up for a while. Uh, I mean, the last time I even thought about it or looked into Guild Wars was several years ago. Ah, come on, Steam. Guild Wars 2 is marked as free. Oh, wait, planned release date to be announced? Maybe they're shifting to Maybe free to play. S- yeah, maybe it's a Steam release for Guild Wars 2. I mean, the Guild Wars originally was the whole thing with it was like it's an MMO that you only buy once. Um, and then you would buy like expansions when they had them. But you, it didn't have a subscription fee. I played Guild Wars 2 
looks like there's some people that's claiming that uh, the Guild Wars 2 free-to-play launch, it's going to be very microtransaction heavy. Not surprising. Uh, uh, And selling power, which is just the kiss of death on pretty much any uh, MMO that I want to play. Yep. I I played Guild Wars 2 something like five or six years ago. Um, I was an engineer because they had guns, and I thought that was cool. You had to build stuff. I played it for a while. It was all right. But, you know, in essence, it was an MMO. You know, by the time I played it, there was nothing really groundbreaking to it except the whole model of, like, buy once and play it forever. You know, I don't know if that's still true. I don't know if I could still go play it. I don't even know if I remember my account info. Maybe later I'll try and log in and and see. Maybe. (laughs) All right. Go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But anyways, thanks for, uh, you know, I, I told Cube that I would talk about it you know, bring it up and talk about it briefly, like the points that he made and the stuff that he listed. He was like, I'm not suggesting you do any of these for Game Club. And I'm like, no, no, I get it. Like, it's his Game Club suggestions. Like, you know, that was where I you mean, like it was if we can find a, put it. A, a decent free-to-play game, I wouldn't mind trying it for a month on Game Club. I mean, the last one we did was Cross Out, if memory yeah. serves correctly. And it was actually fun for a while, but uh, they just seemed uh, like most of the uh, uh, free-to-play games I try. Uh, especially ones that are in active, you know, early access development, uh, are fun for a while, then they do something. Yeah. I mean, I would happily play an MMO like Star Trek Online or something. Um, I don't know how microtransaction heavy it is at this point. Uh, I think uh, Star Trek Online is pretty microtransaction heavy, but uh, as long as you stay out of PvP, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. I, I don't really do PvP very much. I played it... When it came out, like, I actually paid for a subscription for a while um, and enjoyed that. And then when it went free to play, I played it for a while. And at the time that I played it, I mean, the microtransactions existed, but it didn't feel too microtransaction crazy. But I mean, you know, that has, again, that's been several years ago since I played it. You know, it's still kicking around, though. Yeah, I think uh, it got a pretty substantial expansion season, whatever you want to call it. Uh, recently, but it's incorporating the newer Star Trek into it, which is kind of eh to me. Yeah, I mean, for Star Trek Online, it's probably fine. True. I mean, I get what you're saying for the shows, but <clears throat> Star Trek Online doesn't necessarily play super well, you know, in comparison to the shows. They focused way too much on the fighting as opposed to the diplomacy stuff. But I mean, I get it. Like, you know, it's hard to design a video game that that engages with all of those other pieces um on an in-depth level especially for an mmo you know they knew what aspects that they wanted to focus on and they stuck with it now i'm really gonna play star trek online again though i don't know if i know my account information for that game might have to start over the one i tried to play i actually was trying to play it with friends back in the day was the old republic yeah Uh, but we ended up starting on different planets accidentally and it was uh my friend her husband and me and they were off doing their own thing on a completely different planet and completely forgot about me. Well, the old Republic is fucked anyways with how microtransaction laced it is these days. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the problem with just MMOs in general these days is that uh, the subscription model with certain exceptions, World of Warcraft, uh, is pretty dead and it's gone to free-to-play, microtransaction-focused and it's just so so soul-sucking. Yeah, I'm on the uh, MORPG subreddit, which turns out there is one. And it's pretty much just people talking about uh, 
uh, the same few uh, games here as well. Yeah, I was hoping I would, uh, you know, there'd be something I was missing. So one, actually, one that I haven't played yet, but some of my friends. Uh, it looks like Black my... Desert Online is the only one that I haven't played on here. Black Desert Online can kiss my ass. Another microtransaction laced by power. You know, you can buy power mm-hmm. MMO. Um, but one that I haven't tried yet that one of my friends from my tabletop group keeps telling me I should play that I would like is Fantasy Star Online 2. Mm-hmm. Um, it's free to play. Yeah, I never played that one. I downloaded it specifically to try so I could talk to him about it, and I haven't played it yet. Yeah, they have a roundup of all the major uh, MMORPGs, and so many of these are, you know, ancient. You know, Elder Scrolls Online, EVE Online, EverQuest 2, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, just a, a roundup of all the store or all the major updates from uh, all the major uh, MMOs. And it's just, you know, old, 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 right? Yeah. Well, they are talking about Star Citizen. <clears throat> Speaking of wow. Right. All right. Anyways. So, yeah. Thanks for uh, for sending us your, your thoughts and feelings and prayers on Discord Cube. <laughs> um, appreciate it, buddy. We didn't, uh, I don't think, if we had a, did we have a submission this week? No. No, I didn't see I anything. I didn't think so. Yeah. I just to That's why back. I asked if there was anything that you wanted to cover on the Discord. Yeah. So we're actually caught up on the uh, on the community stuff now? I think so. I don't or know. Maybe we forgot up something. We're going to be. Yeah, it's possible we forgot something. Well, but... well if we forgot something, uh, you could yell at us, vglpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet it to us, vglpodcast, or... Y'all is on Discord. You can find uh, a link to that over at vjobpodcast.podbean.com. Indeed. So, do do? Yes, sir. Well, let's do a Discovery queue. Woo! I know you've got yours pulled up, so go ahead. Of course. So, I have Gravia, a portal-like uh, first-person puzzle or puzzle action game uh, playing with gravity. And it looks interesting. I mean, there's... It, it, there's been kind of a surge of uh, these in the last you know, year or so, uh, where you're using small black holes to create rifts to uh, move thing uh, move things around with gravity, which looks interesting. We'll see if you know it holds up because it's early access, so it does have a demo, thankfully. Uh, but the problem with all these portal-like games is that they never uh, they they. They copy the idea of Portal, you know, first-person puzzler, but don't have the charm or the level design of Portal, which is which made it so strong. Or try to make Portal idiot-proof, where in the original Portal, there was ways that would lock you out of the progression, and the developers would uh, actually have Gladys open up, uh, you know, whatever door you somehow managed to lock yourself behind. So you weren't in a no-win scenario, which hasn't exactly transferred to some of these other games. So, yeah. Yeah. So I got one. Uh, first one in my queue, a rarity. Uh, the Fermi Paradox. This looks lovely. So the Fermi Paradox in in science is this idea of, like, you know, if the galaxy is billions of years old um, and, you know, we exist on the Earth, like... You know, why haven't we ran into any other alien species yet or or noticed know any of them because they know better and the fermi paradox is like well there's all of these solutions um to the fermi paradox they're like well this is why 
sort of the idea that there's like filters that civilizations have to go through and and the closer you get to becoming an an intergalactic species the more difficult the barriers become and the idea is that like well either we are the first we are alone in the galaxy or the, whatever the final barrier is is so tough that no species has has uh, passed it yet and become an intergalactic species because you know the time scales involved with being able to colonize you know worlds and whatnot um outside of your own solar system are enormous and um you know we should we should be able to see any civilization that has has started to become an intergalactic species based on changes we could see in the stars and things like that over time anyways not to not to go farther on a tangent than usual but this is a it looks like this is a game where that you um it, it's sort of a god game where that you are guiding the development of these species sort of a possibly a choose your own adventure is how it a- appears that this happens and that and so these 10 different species um go through development and it'll pop up and you get to do something to help you know decide how they as a species respond to whatever the um issue is like climate change is one of them that you know i can just see here uh looking well, through well, the... we can just go to another planet right destroy <laughs> it <laughs> right um but you know climate climate change is, is one that i can see like in in the screenshots um as a thing that you i guess help a species decide what to do or, or tell them what to do and you guide their development and it looks like with 10 different species and situations you could have quite a few different outcomes for the various species it looks really neat the art style is gorgeous um i'm i'm into this uh looks like it just released into early access on steam uh within the past week right now it's 17 dollars, and i'm very tempted to buy this very tempted i'm gonna think about it i'm not just gonna impulse buy it but yeah i'm gonna think about during one of my discovery cues during the sale i'm pretty sure and because i have it on my wish list and I thought of you, but I didn't link it to you because I kind of forgot. <laughs> That's fair. That's fine. But uh, carry on. Okay, so fitting in my theme of corporate games, <laughs> I got The Company Man, a action platformer where you're a company man battling the, the corporate machine. And it has a very impressive artwork on this. It doesn't look like it in uh, the screenshots, but watching the uh, the, the trailer for it, it has a, a really impressive fluidity of movement uh, and just a style to it that is a little rare to see in platformers. And yes, I know platformers are uh, you know, a time a dozen, especially indie ones. Uh, but seeing something with a different style on it to you know, uh, try to refresh uh, to freshen things up is nice and this is uh, by a company that just kind of broke into video games uh, according to the uh, reviews and uh, a Malaysian based uh, company that this is their first game so I'm uh, rather impressed with uh, you know, this being their first one and it looks like it's getting pretty good reviews overall not a ton of them but you know it's also just released oh no it released in Bay. So it's just not getting a lot of traction, which is a little sad considering just the st- uh, how stylistic to get is. Right. But also, yeah, you know, like I said, it's in a very, very crowded genre. Right. No. 
So, so are you gonna say something? Go for it. Uh, okay. No, I was I was just gonna say. Not sure about the pricing, but eh. <laughs> yeah. I got police simulator patrol officers. Welcome to Brighton. Join the police force of this fictitious American city and experience the day-to-day life of a police officer. Although I don't see any screenshots of you harassing, hurting, or murdering minorities, so probably not that accurate. <laughs> um, Damn. Right. Couldn't resist. Couldn't resist letting my uh, my true feelings yeah, come out. On yeah, that this one. was another one that I had pop up at some point. Oh no! Oh. I mean, I mean uh, that one person does look a little brown, so that's fair enough. I mean, this looks like you're just doing cop stuff or the stuff that cops are supposed to do, and uh, I don't know, giving people speeding tickets. Yeah, and it is early access though, and very expensive early access at that. Yeah, twenty five bucks. Uh, according to this, there's two modes. There's casual mode and simulation mode so i guess casual is just like i don't know go beat up somebody randomly well then what's simulation mode uh you have to uh, you have to uh drizzle a little cocaine on them <laughs> let's see is uh, let's see dynamic traffic system yep sure emergency situations randomly pop up that you have to react to on a moment's notice uh, you can choose neighborhoods to patrol with an intuition system. Your police officer will be able to pick up on important clues during witness interrogations. Uh oh. I don't know. Uh, so are you going to yell at him if you doubt him? <laughs> I guess. You'll, no, you're going to tase him. Patrol officers offers. That's an awkward sentence to say. A simulation mode for experienced players looking for the most authentic experience. Okay. But what does that mean? Am I gonna? It, does the simulation mode mean I have to go back to the precinct and do paperwork for six hours before I can turn the game off? <laughs> that sounds terrible. Uh, that, uh, that's I, I don't do that know. In real uh, life. I ask Ghost Man. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, or Ghost. Ghost. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Ghost was the one that did uh, GTA uh, release, right? Yeah. Okay, I can't he, remember. He did have to do paperwork. I, I can't never remember. Could which, understand. I, I can't remember uh, which one of them did it. So I just. I uh, grabbed one at random. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Spaceman. Yeah, who knows if this is what, what simulation mode is. It doesn't actually say. It's not that I see on the store page. I might right. be, uh, yeah, have to respond to call, calls and that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe. So, I got one that might be for you. It's a f- uh, free game. Dudes on a map, virtual grid paper. So, it's a tool for tabletop RPGs uh, to play online uh, with uh, creation tools as well and uh, it's early access. They're still working on it. Uh, it does seem like they're going to be free with DLC. So, yeah. Cool beans. I know that uh-huh. there's quite a few of these out there, uh, but yeah, all of them have their own strengths and weaknesses. So, yeah, throw out, uh, throw them all out and see which one sticks for your particular group, right? Yeah. And this one looks more like it's focused on map generation and with the D&D rule set, at least as the base game. Now, the question is, you know, just how we'll handle it in the long run, right? As it goes through early access. Yeah. It's, I mean, hopefully it, it works well. I mean, I, I want to see more easily accessible tools than than Roll20. Like, Roll20 serves a good purpose, like, you know, I talked about earlier, but it's got problems. And so, you know, having other tools that, that DMs slash GMs can use and players um, is good, but they need to be accessible. Because Roll20 does have a free version. There's ads that that play before you can actually launch the game and do stuff. And it limits the tool set you can use, but you can still use it for free. And a lot of these cost $25, $30, $50. And some of them even require every player to have it. 
and those are not accessible. But this being free, at least as a base, um, you know, it's good. Players can get access to that. Um, I got uh, Doki Doki Literature Club Plus. So Doki Doki Literature Club, I don't think it's a spoiler, although if you've somehow managed to stay pure and spoiler free on this, uh, skip ahead 30-ish seconds. But, you know, I, I don't think it's, I, I think it's pretty well known that Doki Doki Literature Club is a horror game that masquerades as something else for a little while before it, it hits you with the creepy horror stuff. Um, and they're leaning into it. Um, I have heard some reviews about uh, Club Plus that both, like, when you launch the game, it gives you a couple of warnings. And then, obviously, on the store page, like, it's, you know, announcing it loud and proud. The original Doki Doki Literature Club was free. This costs money, but they're saying that they've added um, six addition- or six new storylines to the game, as well as some new music, new art, and things that are in- that are unlockable in the game. Um, as, as part of buying this it's also available on uh switch obviously this is this is the steam version but i know that you can get this on switch now it'll be interesting to see how the switch version actually works because some of the uh you know th- fourth wall breaking was going in and manipulating game files they've got a fake desktop for oh. that okay i wasn't sure how they were doing it yep yep when that happens you can like quote unquote exit the game to a fake uh, PC desktop. I mean, that's one way to do, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know how else you could do it other than maybe like faking the Nintendo interface, but that would be challenging at best. Cause I mean, with, with PC, it's seamless. Cause you can, you just go into the files and, and delete the one that you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And then the game registers that you've done that and makes the changes that you're, that it, it needs to. I should replay Doki Doki Literature Club. I've actually never played it. It's, didn't seem like my cup of tea. It's it's psychological horror as opposed to like jump scary like ah horror, and so it's it's certainly got some creepiness and very 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 heavy themes. Um, you know, trigger warning for people who um, have issues dealing with with suicide related stuff, self harm related stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't dance around the messaging once the game gets going and like exploring those topics. So it's a very heavy game, but I enjoyed it. I think this is a game where that I say that it like, it's fun for a while. It's enjoyable. And then the gaminess gives way to the seriousness and then it becomes more compelling than, than fun per se. But yeah, I mean, as, as long as you're, you know, able to, to handle the heavy stuff that it throws at you it's definitely worth the time to play through. So I got a weird one that I nearly didn't put on uh, the queue, but now what the hell? Landlord of the Woods. You're 25 (laughs) and you feel like all your peers are ahead of you in life. So you apply for a new job to try to find some sort of meeting. Your new career is filled with physics-based puzzles and drawn art and and a cute little story. I mean, just looking at the uh, uh, trailer, it has some weird puzzles and art style going on it makes me wonder what the hell is going on here yeah and that's kind of the yeah the draw and especially at a whole 59 cents in uh the steam sale normally uh nearly a dollar right wow i mean it's strange looking uh, a strange looking art style that kind of just what the hell is going on right yeah that might be a filler in my cart someday to uh, go, you know, top off, uh, uh, you know, to a, a round dollar amount, right? But it looks interesting. Yeah. 
So I got uh, something called Vitalam or Vetalim, the Golden Horde. This game is free to play. Looks like it's a student project um, that they released on Steam for free. It's a real-time strategy game set in 13th century Europe. Um, it's about the Mongolian invasion, and you're trying to defend against the Mongolians. Looks like there's some... Uh, I mean, you know, it's real-time strategy game, so there's base building, uh, creating units, and fighting. Um, most of their use for it are positive... You know, saying like good few hours worth of gameplay, you know, good game for, you know, the fact that like students made it and sort of applauding them for for giving it away for free instead of trying to get something out of people. It's neat. Uh, Let's see. Golden Horde is a student. Here here it is. Golden Horde is a student project created by Castle Roaches, Castle Roaches, which is part of Brita University of Applied Sciences. I'm probably going to play this, especially since it's free. It looks good. Graphics look good. So I got something that kind of bounces off of uh, a game you talked about last week. Sunshine Heavy Industries, a spaceship building game where you launch a bunch of dweebs into space and try to uh, manage customer demand, juggle budget, and ship performance out and survive the questionable decision-making skills of your business partner. Uh, Okay. I'm interested in that. It's a 2D spaceship builder. It's not as complex as Starship uh, Corporation. Mind you, may have bought that uh, in my Steam sale uh, 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 splurge. (laughs) Nice. Well done, sir. Well done. Well, it's been on my uh, wish list for years. Uh, But it's very similar to it, only in a 2D uh, uh, style where uh, you have to build ships uh, to be at demands. Uh, uh, manage crew uh, and uh, also some sort of business uh, management as well. A hundred different parts, early access, uh, fifty story levels with with more being added in every patch. A charming st- uh, story with a cast of colorful space dweebs, and that's their words. Looks neat. Yeah, very good. I am. Uh, I mean, it's I'm not on it. sale, but yeah, you know, also yeah, you know, still in active development, so I don't have any problem with that one. So you got one. Uh, yes. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what this is. And I'm, I'll put a link, though. Sorry, I was I was getting there. I got a little distracted by Sunshine uh, <laughs> heavy, heavy Industries. Yeah, you're totally going to buy that, aren't you? Probably. Not right now, though. All right, Swords of Legends Online. Speaking of our MMO discussion from earlier, what I'm trying to figure out is, is if this is more Dynasty Warriors... Or or not, and just several of the screenshots are showing you with like a party of of warriors or a couple of the screenshots. Um, oh, actually, the way that that's done makes me think of like uh, free to play like um, battle royale games with everyone lined up there. All the battle royale is not one of the tags. Anyways, Sword of Legends uh, action MMORPG set in a breathtaking fantasy world with sophisticated combat mechanics and a unique storyline. Based on Chinese mythology. Um, so that would be neat. I mean, Chinese mythology, there are a lot of cultures, cultural histories, um, and mythos that don't really get explored in games. Especially in the West. Explored. Yeah, especially in the West. So if this game is good, it would be interesting. I would like to see, you know, some of that story. I'm still trying to oh, gain access to your very own floating island to build a temple on. 
that sounds very much like um player housing well yeah player housing but also what was it the start with a w supposed to be like the hardcore classic mmo game and it it is gone now <laughs> uh, uh what wild no i don't know it doesn't matter it's like a sci-fi wild star wild star thank you it took me a moment to remember it, it gives me wild probably, star vibes. Yeah, we're probably the only ones that's going to remember it <laughs> yeah it, it's, wild just, star it's, vibes. A, it's a it's a shame because wild star combat wise did some interesting things but they just uh on the business side of things just uh right yeah there's an MMO though, so yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so I got Acheon. And this is a game I, I had trouble figuring out what it was until I started reading the comments because they do not sell this good at all. It's essentially a knockoff Pokemon Snap, only in a more like whimsical universe. Yeah. So it's an on rails shooter where you're taking photographs, uh, with looks like a bit more of an RPG element in it as well. To, uh, 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 or, or I should say more of a story, plus as you progress, you befriend some of the, the characters. So a little bit more story-heavy, a little bit more RPG-esque. It's not terribly expensive. It released last month. So yeah. But there's not a lot of games that really take on Pokemon in general, let alone Pokemon Snap. So yeah. It does look like you could do quite a bit with the photography system as well. And some sort of uh, rhythm game in it as well. Not sure what's going on there. So yeah, looks like a little bit more than just a Pokemon Snap knockoff, right? Um, well, that's a that's a porn game where the breasts are exposed for my pleasure, but that I can't put on our list. Um, okay, Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance this is the last one on my queue. I have heard good things about this game. Um, I have not played it it's on game pass actually if you so if you have game pass you can play this right now not have to play for it um dark alliance but it is a more action heavy dungeons and dragons game um an action rpg so the 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 most recent D &D game that i'm aware of um was the mmo which kind of had some action aspects to it but it was wasn't a a well clone per se but there were lots of aspects of it that were very clearly ripped out of wow and similar mmos and this is you know a third person action rpg with just uh D, D uh classes um in it and you know spells and effects and stuff but it looks neat i like D, &D. I like fantasy stuff yeah my the last four things on my queue were just all either terrible or porn games or terrible porn games. <laughs> so I'm done. You can never have enough of those. Yeah, that was the last of my queue. So, wow. Well, it's because I didn't do, uh, it's because I didn't do uh, discovery queue for ages. So, right. Yeah. Three, four, five, six. You've got six. And I've got one, two, four, five, six. Hey, we matched. That's so maybe go uh, get something else. <laughs> nah. Hey, Rage. Why don't you hit them with the socials? Well, I've been Catherine Rage. You can uh, find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR, or you can be my friend on Steam, Caffeine Rage. And you've been? Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist on Twitter at JMA4707. And you can be my friend on Discord or talk to me, JRathor4707. Same on Steam. I am open all the time to conversations. And hey, the password's back. Because I completely forgot to do it last week because I'm out of practice. If you wish right. to know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, 
The password for this week is shitty names. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Makes sense. Yeah. Damn. Uh, I'm not sure who's worse at this point. Yes. Although I'm sure Jared's going to make it even worse with the name of this episode. Probably. I'll have to think about it for a minute, but I, I could come up with something that's bad. Think about it for a minute. I mean, that's more effort than you usually put in. That's true. Very true. Uh, speaking of effort, if you were to uh, put forth an effort and uh, contribute, you can do so via your podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or tweet them to us via your podcast, or drop by the Discord, which you can find a link to that, as well as all our other stuff, the RSS feed, the show notes. Uh, over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. And if you were to spread the love, you could find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You can find out more at patreon.com slash vglpodcast. And our intro and outro music is Underground Mac and McLeod. And our Discovery Key music is doubly due by the same artist, but the work can be found at incomputate.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. See you next time. Bye-bye.